Suzanne Pedersen in her ninth Solheim Cup with this to win the trophy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ninth tee. As always, excited to be joined by the one, Mr. Ben Harbring of womensgolf.com. Mr. Ben, how are you? I am doing absolutely incredible today. Kit, how are you doing? I am enamored to hear that. I'm doing pretty well. I got some good golf in here in California. It was sunny. It was 65. The weather was great. How, how's golf weather in your neck of the woods? You know, to be honest, uh, almost identical to yours, which, really? which is a little that's shocking. It is shocking and not. So I tell you, like living in the Midwest, it's literally hit or miss. Like I, I will, if I woke up one month from now in the month of April and we got snow, I would not be surprised. But at the same time, I'm not going to be surprised about a 65 and sunny, sunny day today. <laughs> that's just the way it is. You know, it's also not going to be a surprise, us learning today from our guests. We're excited to be joined by Pia Nielsen and Lynn Marriott of Vision 54, their golf school they founded in 1999. They've been longtime top 50 coaches on Golf Digest, coached four world number ones, nine major champions. Pia and Lynn, how are you both doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we, yeah. we always enjoy getting to talk to you, Kent. So. <laughs> yeah. well, we're really excited to talk with you as well. And just for our audience who may not know about Vision 54 and what your overall philosophy is, can you just give a brief overview about Vision 54? Yeah, I mean, if we coach two players or, or the what we call the real golfers, you know, the other 99.9%, is to, to support them to actually play better on the golf course and enjoy the game more. And it's really important that it's not just working on the range and having green, we want things to work on the golf course. So that's a big deal for us. Yeah, and, and, we, and we say enjoy it more because whether it's a tour player we coach or the real golfer, which is you know 99% of the golfers out there on the planet, that we watch people come off the 18th green and they're miserable, unfortunately. And like, so what we mean is that they've spent time, money and energy in this endeavor called golf and they're not happy about it. So we just really help people with skills to enjoy that experience more. And of course, we want them to play better on the golf course. And the 54 yeah. is there as a reminder just about the possibility of maybe someone in the game will shoot 54 or lower. We, we think it's humanly possible to do it. We don't know which century, but we think it's human, humanly possible. But the more important thing is the metaphor of it, that, mm -hmm. that we want to look at any player's possibilities, not always look through the lens of what's strong and faults and fixes, but really bring out each person's possibilities and, and go for those. Yeah, but we but we have coached two players who've shot 59. <laughs> One is Annika Sorenstam and the other is Russell Knox. Yes, so exactly. not quite a 54, but 59 is pretty good. <laughs> How was it for you two having coached Annika? Watch her in her return. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it, you know, it was good. And I, I know many of the younger players just appreciated getting to see her you know, how she acts and what she does out there. But I mean, obviously she's not starting a new career. It's just like 
kind of warm up and checking up on her game for some senior events. So, but I think it's it's really nice for many of the other players to, you know, we, we know like Anna Nordquist got to play with her and she just thought it was really, you know, just interesting. Someone she looked up to, but actually get to walk the fairways with her. Yeah. I mean, Anna even said that Annika still has it, you know, yeah. not so much about what she shot on the weekends, but, but just her, her demeanor on the course. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, she said she was so impressed. And yeah. so she was like, so excited to get to see it firsthand. I think it's pretty scary for the U S senior women's open field to have a player like that say she still got yeah. it. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys have been coaching for vision 54 since 1999, over 20 years. How has the philosophy changed the most over those years? Yeah. And as I said, you know, we started coaching way earlier on that, but we didn't do it together with vision 54. Yeah. But uh, I would say it's just, you know, for every year you just, add more experience of what works and doesn't work. And every year we're more educated so we can back up things more with studies and research. Uh, so the foundation of philosophy has stayed true. We always check up on it and question ourselves, but it's just got like deeper, more applicable and- uh, And, and yeah. more you know, evidence-based yeah. from looking at the research on how yeah. the brain works or how emotions affect it performance or so forth yeah. so and the performance science in general has just you know so much exciting things that will happen there yeah what's been the most interesting recent performance science article you've read that you've been able to apply to your teaching oh gosh i i would say well one is and i often tell this now in the golf schools is that people react negatively almost instantaneously and I used to think, you know, is it the game that makes people do that? Or is it just that grumpy people play golf? You know, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, we used to think it was more like a behavior and a psychological piece. And what we now know is that the brain is wired for what is called a negativity bias. So negative events in our life, whether it's a golf shot or anything, gets stored faster, um, deeper than positive events. And that, that hardwired negativity bias is um, there for survival. But it works the same for golf as it would, let's say, putting your hand on a hot stove. So, so now we can speak to that. But what's so I think interesting about that is that if you don't learn a skill in your post-shot reaction, what we call a memory box, the brain is wired to go negative. It's, it's default is gonna be this negativity bias. So that's why people come off the golf course and they remember all their bad shots and don't remember as deeply their good shots. So I think we can talk about that and then talk about that there's a, a skill set needed that you proactively have to engage if you wanna enjoy the game more. And actually, as you engage that skill, you're gonna play better too. Yeah. yeah. And I think another thing is we know through the times we're living in with all the stimuli coming at us that we know that the, our attention span has been cut in half because of all the multitasking and all the technology. So we just know as golfers at any level, we need to train more to actually stay focused, stay present, stay aware without getting distracted all the time, even like, 
right in the backswing. <laughs> yeah. So learning to actually pay attention has become much more important. I know we all talk about the technical skills of the game. You walk up and down a driving range, you're going to hear everyone giving advice, right or wrong, to other golfers about what they're doing on the technical side. But you were alluding to the human skills that are necessary for the game of golf. Which ones are the most important that you teach as Vision 54 coaches that you find players don't have before they come to you? Well, we, you know, the, the answer to the technical skills and human skills, they're equally important. We just want them to develop together. And that's the, the common thing. What happens today is that golfers only learn technical development, but they don't know how to manage themselves before a shot, during a shot, after a shot, between shots. So they're not progressing as quickly as they want to or should because they're lacking the other half of the fundamentals. So it's more for the future of the game. If I'm new to the game or I'm highly competitive, I understand that there are two sets of golf fundamentals and they you want them to be learned together. But um, uh, the, it's, it's, it's starting to happen more and more, but we have a long ways to go in, in golfers understanding that and, and also all the teachers and coaches around the world. Yeah. And I, and I would just add that, you know, the human skills meaning that it's how you manage your mind, it's how you manage your body, it's how you manage your emotions, and that, you know, those are just basic skills everybody needs as a human being playing the game. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, what people actually need, some need to actually learn to make decisions <laughs> and stay committed to it. Some need, as Pia alluded to just a few moments ago, like, they need to learn to pay attention. They actually need to be present while they're making a swing or a stroke. They're not in the future or in the past. Some need a lot of emotional management after the shot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, yeah, they've just let that negativity bias kind of uh, run rampant. And then some, you know, they make up stories in their head between shots <laughs> and they don't manage their self-talk. So it's kind of individual what human skills each player needs to put more emphasis on than others. Yeah. Um, but what we do know is that anybody's game, no matter what their technical ability, when they just get start to get proficient and get a baseline of the human skills and know how to train them, their game just gets better. And their scores go down. So we just feel like there's there's a lot left on the table for golfers to get better. And the human skills is a is a really big deal for us. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been the process for players coming to you to adapt to the Vision 54 way? Well, I mean, it's more us adapting to them. <laughs> but you know, so obviously we 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 first mean our our best way is to get to see them a couple of holes in the golf course, just to see what is what are they actually doing, both technically and then more with human skills. And if we can't do that, we just need to ask a lot of questions to know what are they focusing on out there? What are things they know they do when they play well? We want to really draw out what are some of the things they know happens when they play well? And not only technical, but, you know, other ways they might say, like, you know, I lose my confidence or I get disturbed by everything around me or when I don't play well. But then when they play well, they, they might say, well, my tempo is smooth or I like what I'm playing with. So we need to draw out to find some kind of distinction between things they know is there when they play well and what happens when they don't play well. And, and, and they need to buy into that 
golf is actually played by a human being, but everybody so far buys into that. <laughs> and if it is a human being playing the game of golf, and we know the way I am is different every day. Like some days, depending on how I slept or what I ate, my body is different. And every day I'm different in my mind, depending on expectations or who I talk to or news or whatever. So we need to realize that every day for everybody, we as a human being, we're different. So we bring that to our golf game. So when we just talk about that, we still don't meet anyone that disagree with us. <laughs> so, yeah. And when they can feel like, wow, when I just manage that tension level in my shoulder, I hit better shots. So we, they need to get a little feel for that focusing on some of these skills right away is affecting their ability to to swing or putt better and because that's the whole point so we need to like start with that and then them having experience of that so it's not just the concept they actually get to experience it themselves yeah and i'd say like we we just finished a golf school this weekend and we had um a woman that attended that's about a 25 handicap and when i first saw her swing i was like are you sure you're 25? Because her swing was a lot better than a 25. Yeah. But she said, oh, you know, she goes, I'm sick of everybody asking me that. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> but I go, obviously, there needs to be other things you need to develop besides your swing. And because, yeah. So anyway, it was just fun to see the progression over three days with her in yeah. the golf school. I mean, she could even see by the third day, like, she was driving at like a 10 handicap. And the, but managing herself now in a way and at least knew the skills she needed to train to, you know, realize that 10 handicap, yeah. even though she'd been the 25. So yeah. she's like a player. You go, wow, with just a little bit of skills and then how to train them. Her game's going to completely change. And I just have to say, so now I'll just say when Ari Jutanagarn came for us for coaching and we saw her ball striking, we were like, oh, <laughs> like this is just incredible like you know you've never won on the LPGA and so and she hadn't but again it was just like a baseline of skills she needed to manage herself on the course yeah. and wow I mean you know she's won 10 times in two majors so yeah you bring up a really good point um how long does it usually take professional players to get fully committed like to a fully committed point fully committed to like the, the vision 54, the process, that, that mental process of thinking about the game a little bit differently. Oh, yeah. no, I mean, usually if when they come to see us, it's you know always because they want to come and see us. So usually it doesn't take long because many of them have, you know, have developed technically and then might, may never have looked at the other skills of the game of golf. So if they, they need to actually believe in that there's more to golf than technique. And if they do, and they just start applying some of these skills, they should start noticing something good very quickly <laughs> and yeah. then build it from there. And I'll say, you know, some, some players, they, they just need to get an awareness in a couple of things and then they're fine. They can go off and do it. And they have great, you know, they have you know, good, good results. Um, others need to kind of what we call come back to the harbor. So we often say like we, we don't have a stable of players. We have a harbor 
And our metaphor is that they sail in like a ship and they, you know, they might need to work on a few things, but our goal is that they can go out on the stormy seas and sail away and manage themselves out there. And so, you know, I think for some, when you ask about commitment, they just need to kind of come in and get maybe a little perspective change and a few skills they needed on the course. Others need to hang out in the harbor longer. And, and you know, so it's maybe a longer process. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you mentioned Aria Jutanagarn, which we all know today, like the success she has, the 10 wins, multiple major championships. When she came to you, like you said, she hadn't won yet. And you're like, how, how is this possible? And you look at her swing. It really is one of the, it's, it's amazing to watch her play, but she, she came to you, came to you both, went to school, developed some human skills, and then she won three straight events in May of 2016. Wow. So the question is, is it more difficult to win for the first time or to regain the peak form after you kind of fall back again or fall back? It's such an awesome question. Great, great question. And I, it's really, really hard to compare them because, you know, winning the first time has its challenges because the player might not know yet if they're good enough to win because the competition is really tough. So it's, it's, it might be lacking some skills and all of that. So it's a, but then when you're in a slump after that, it's so much more, it's so different, it's so complex. <laughs> and it's like, super complex so we can we can talk about that so mm. and i would say it can i mean winning you have to be so good in so many ways to make it even happen but then it's like super challenging the second part of the question too to regain things after you already are like kind of a superstar yeah <laughs> well and i have to say i'm not going to say who the player is but you know the lpj just played last weekend and a player that we've coached who's, um, she hasn't won, but she's done well. Like after, when she first came to us, she went on to win qualifying school. So anyway, I'm gonna go fast forward to this this past weekend. And she had a really bad round on Thursday. And um, we were like, wow, what's happening? So we just sent her a text and she said, I was gonna reach out to you guys too. And we said, so how's your think box? And how's your play box? And how's your memory box? And she said, oh, I'm not doing any of those. <laughs> so, wow. so, like, so she goes, you know, I've been working on my swing and everything's been so great. And, you know, I've been hitting it great on the range and my practice rounds have been really good, but now you're back out in competition. So it was funny. So we said, okay, just tell us what, you know, what could be better for tomorrow. And just in terms of these skills you need on the course. And then it was a, it was a huge difference. She didn't make the cut, but she still, I mean, it was like remarkably different. Yeah, so so it I mean this so it is true. So for a player to win, it's so much about the, all their skills and confidence and courage and dealing with being, about being nervous winning. But then when you come back for things, why I say it's more complex because you have after you've been good and then you lose it for whatever reason, there's usually like you suddenly have you know a million opinions about what you're doing <laughs> and, and much more perceived pressure from you know sponsors fans media yourself and you know it's it just can and you you there's a lot of so it's a lot much pressure and expectations totally different ways and we in women's game we have very many young people 
young players to become really, really good. So they're just actually trying to grow up as a human being while they're being stars. And it can get, you know, they don't get space enough to just be growing up stage. So there's so many things going on that, that uh, and those players, and we care about a lot because, uh, you know, it's a lot of support. And just because you win and make money doesn't mean everything is fine, <laughs> you know? So it, it's a very, very big topic and very, very important for us. And I, I'll say, too, I wanted to add, like, when you're coming back and anything, I remember we talked to a player we've coached, and she she had been number one in the world. It's not area, but it's another player. And uh, um, we had this conversation because she'd missed the cut in a major, and we were sitting down having a coffee on a Saturday, and she wasn't playing. And she said, you know, I don't really want to be back to number one. I've already been there. So what could be, motiv <laughs> so, be motivating? She goes, it was you know, an, it was an like, inspiring goal, even though she liked it, but it was like no energy in it. Yeah, she goes, I've already done it. You know, and this player is one of us. Yeah, young and has won quite a few majors. So, but it was just an interesting thing to go back to something. So I think that's a different mindset. I mean, whether, you know, in the men's game right now, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, I mean, you know, everybody's talking, when are they going to be back? When are they going to be back? But like, you can only be now. And, you know, so letting go of this being back to who you were, a lot of players need to learn how to let that go. We always say like, <laughs> you can never go back to, where you were, it's impossible. You can just be a new you. <laughs> Going back to what you used to do, none of us actually have that option. Right. <laughs> but how can it be the way you want in the future? But it's never going to be the same. It can be differently good. Yeah. Yeah. So like Kent 2.0, instead of getting back to something. Yeah. <laughs> I know Ben really wishes for a Kent 2.0 about my jokes, but otherwise. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> No, I, I did. I, you guys, it got me thinking a little bit um, because it's, I think I wasn't intending asking this question, but now that we're here, I was thinking about the pandemic and this long break that we had. And every year there's an off season. This year is much shorter, but I'm, I'm curious to know if there's any, is it difficult for players in your experience for them to kind of maintain? I think we all think about when you're competing, you're thinking about your swing, the, the physical aspect of it, you're definitely on top of. But whenever you take a break, is there any tendency to like relax on the mental aspect of it? When you're just playing casual, casual rounds with your friends or just, you know, hitting a few balls during the week during that time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, super absolutely. Much so. Super much so. Because, you know, you can just, it, it's very, very different to play those casual practice rounds and actually playing real tournaments. So it's, so just like the fitness and technical parts needs to be like checked up on and do, you know, maintenance and all of that. The, the this human aspect of the game needs the same. And uh, so that's for sure. And I think this year, like you said, for many, you know, many obviously had longer breaks during the season in lockdown and all of that last year. But then when the tournament started, then they had a, many of them had a shorter off season. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them get to have two rookie years. <laughs> right. Yeah, they have. And, and I'll just say, I mean, and then they also, because of this break or whatever, this time away from being competing, they started to, you know, be more in their other roles in life. They might start cooking and they might start doing some of their hobbies and they might find that they're enjoying those, but they're a professional golfer. 
So, you know, it comes back to like, oh, yeah, oh, I got to get out of the kitchen and get out of the garden and all these things that I'm doing and enjoying. And, you know, I'm, I've got to start playing golf again. And so, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a shift in roles and identities. Yeah. And we say for yeah. some of the younger players that we don't think have enough identities, identities outside of being a golfer. It's been good for them to actually have a few hobbies that they can maybe find some time to do in the course just to get a break from their identity of being a golfer. Yeah. You guys were mentioning earlier about the think box, the play box, the memory box. You shared a little bit about the memory box. Could you talk and explain to yeah. those who wouldn't understand what those two, the think box and the play box are? <laughs> okay. you know, so in the big scheme of things, when we say like, you need to look at the human skills of the game. So what we mean is that everybody needs to figure out what to do before a shot, during a shot, after a shot, and between shots. There's the four areas of the game that exist. On the golf course. On the golf course. So, so before the shot, we call it the think box. And the main thing there is learning, how do I make, best make a decision that I actually can trust? <laughs> and... And that process can be different for everybody, but it's about making a decision, but also trusting that decision. So that would be the main thing about the think box. Yeah. And play box is the moment of truth or it's go time. It's when you're actually making a swing or a stroke. And the main skill there is to pay attention, be focused and to be an athlete, not to still be in a thinking state of you know what club should I hit or what swing things should I be thinking about you know so it's very much it's what we call a high performance state and it's being focused and being present yeah and and you know in in um, sports that are reactionary you don't have to worry about that you see a ball and you throw it because you know where the target is or kick a ball or tennis whatever but in golf because the ball is sitting still Every golfer needs to know, okay, I made a decision, I'm trusting it, and how do I step in and, like Lynn said, being more athletic. And the big thing, too, for us is that if, let's say I'm, my focus is to feel my grip pressure, maybe my focus is to sense 80% tempo, that I stay with that till the end of the swing. Many, like, get so outcome-obsessed that they don't stay with the focus on the end of the swing. So the playbox is a really, really big deal for yeah, us. It's, it's where golf happens, yeah. so it's a big deal. And obviously, we already talked about, about the memory, memory box, box, but it's like, how do I best react to shot, the good ones and the not-so-good ones, so I, can still, so I can keep creating confidence and momentum during the round? And then obviously, like we said, all this time between shots, it's, you know, <laughs> golf is like, depending on pace of play, it's like between three and a half and four and a half hours of your time. <laughs> but it's, for men, you need to think how to reach your body or, you know, mind and emotion and not try to stay focused for the whole round. So, so we, yeah, we've coached uh, one major, one major champion that we've coached. She did Sudoku puzzles between shots. And, uh, you know, it's just good for her because she doesn't like slow play. She's not like into thinking a lot. And but she would start to like be worried about shots coming up or holes coming up. So Sudoku puzzles were just an awesome distraction. Yeah, good to have in the artist. Book, yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, a very productive distraction between yeah. shots. Yeah. Yeah. How many Sudoku puzzles would she knock out around? I don't know. <laughs> she, did, she did hangman too. So. Yeah, she did. <laughs> 
you were you were mentioning about players trying to regain that peak form that one of the possibilities was not committing to that process of going through all three and also the possibility of media pressure or sponsor pressure how do you draw it out of a player to identify what that that primary human skill issue is well, it is by once again both observing them play, but asking a lot of questions. Because when someone's been that good, and then something happened, it's usually, you know, can, of course, it can be something technical, but it usually has much more to do with, you know, the vision they have for the game and their goal setting and the values and the, you know, feeling, not feeling that their their ranking or scoring identify them who they are as a person. They need to separate who they are as a person and not be think like what they're doing on the golf course is who they are as a person. So they need to learn a lot of these other skills that to be able to manage high pressure situations that um, you know process outcome, who you are, what you do. They need a lot of help with these things. And the support people around them needs greater awareness too of of this kind of, uh, you know, these kind of human aspects that they they could support with, and not always only focus on ranking and scoring. Yeah. So I I would just add to that too is that we haven't mentioned it as a specific human skill on the course, but um, we always want players to figure out what their spirit of the game is. Like, why do they play? You know, why would you spend time, money, energy? you know, doing this thing called golf, because you could do a lot of other things. So we we want that for, for every golfer that we coach to at least reflect on and get clear about, because if you're not clear for yourself why you're doing this thing called golf, and this could be as a professional or I said as a as just a recreational golfer, then others will impose upon you why you should play golf. <laughs> and now, you know, this whole thing becomes very, a very hollow experience. Um, but I have to say, I, with the tour players that we coach, we always address spirit of the game. And after we address spirit of the game and they, they talk about it and they reflect on it, um, then we can often filter down to more specific skills that they need. What percentage of the time, Pia, you were mentioning it's more often human skills than technical skills? Is Are there percentages, you think, when they're off the peak of how often it's technical versus how often it's human side? Uh, no, it's very individually <laughs> individually different. It's And usually it's always like a combo because they're so tied together. But I always said for the elite players that have highly developed technique, it's more often on the other side. Because anytime some of the human skills are off, they manifest in the technique. So I mean, as an example, it would be maybe I'm having a hard time committing to my decision. So if I don't commit to my decision in putting, for example, it might mean that I decelerate my stroke. So someone would say, oh, it's, it's technical. You need to work on your, you know, your pace of your stroke and all of that. I mean, it shows up there, but it was caused by me not committing to the decision. So that's why everything manifests in the technique, but we need to be more skillful where it originated. We've talked a lot about the elite students that you've had, but for those players on tour who are on the ascension on their way up, what, what are you hoping they take away from a human skill side 
the first few times they're in contention and under that kind of pressure? Oh, gosh, that it's all learning. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, of course, you know, lots of money's on the line and maybe extra sponsors, all these things that come with winning. Um, but to actually enjoy the journey and enjoy the process, no matter what, and to keep what we call a growth mindset, that it's all learning. Yeah. And then to get specific, you know, about what the learnings were so they can apply those. Yeah. Um, but if they if they just have this win lose mentality, like oh I lost another one, or there I was I played in the last group the last two weeks and and tanked on Sunday, you know, and they don't draw out the learning in a really substantive substantive way, then um, yeah that can that can get tough. Yeah, you know, it just you know it's always so striking both for when we we were the years we were coaching Suzanne Pedersen a lot and then Eric Utanigan both had the experiences of tanking at the end of the <laughs> ANA, what is not called the first major for the women on a Sunday. And for both of them it ended up being the greatest learning because we said to them both, it was you know years apart, but like how would you know how you would react ever with having this intense pressure of winning a major championship. There's no way you could have known beforehand, but now you've been there, you'll be able to see it on television, all of that. So now you know. So if it meant under that pressure that their swings got faster, or if it meant under that pressure that the decision making got too complicated, or if it meant under pressure that they uh, got too tight in the shoulders, they, they couldn't know that till they've been in that situation. So this might be the greatest thing ever for your future because next time you're in similar situation, you're most likely going to react the same way. But next time around, you can actually have a plan. Like today, I might feel that pressure. So I need to loosen the, the tension in my shoulder or I need to stay with my more simple pre-shot routine. And in both cases, that's how it ended up being. Was the greatest learning? So next time in similar situation, they knew how to act differently, and then they could win multiple times after that. Yeah, so that's that's very interesting. Is there a different preparation for someone who is at the top of the world or near the top of the world, top ten player versus someone who's he or she's looking for their first win? Yeah, because the the one who's been there still knows more about themselves, and they know how they pull it through and how to manage themselves when they get close to winning. So they have that big advantage and, and a younger player might, might not know yet how, how she's going to be for sure. Yeah. 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 In terms of you know, winning as a skill, right. Coming down the stretch, how do you develop that malleability of the process to know what they need to do to close out a win at the end? Well, well yeah. usually they need to mess up for <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's one. Um, yeah, that could, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can experiment that way. But also, I think how you train, um, you know, before any competition, as much as you can simulate what could happen. And, you know, simulation is never going to match the real deal. But the more you can make the simulation yeah, immerse them into, okay, you know, you could possibly hit it in the water here. You could possibly do this. You could possibly do that and put them in real deal situations. Then, um, yeah, then they're, they're going to be more prepared. I love to tell this story about Ami Azato, who we've coached. And I was number one in the world at one point, 
But one year she came for off season with us. And um, well, she came every year for off season with us. But this one particular year, we said, okay, you know, we went through her goals and everything she wanted to learn and so forth. But I'll get, get to this is that she wanted to prepare for the first two LPGA events. And they were Thailand and Singapore um, that year on the tour. So we said, okay, uh, you're here with us in Phoenix, Arizona, but every day you're going to play the course in Thailand and the course in Singapore. So she did about an hour a day for yeah. two weeks. And, you know, she had, she knew the course as well. So she, she hit the drive and then watched where it landed, then picked the appropriate shot into the green. Then she'd actually go over to the putting green if she missed the green and chip her putt or pitch or hit a bunker shot. So anyway, she did this for maybe a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was very different practice for her in this off season. Because usually in an off season, she did a lot of what we call block practice hit a lot of balls and many in off season are doing swing changes. And she actually said to us before she left to, to go play these terms, she said, you know, this has been really different. I think it's been good, but she said, I'm really nervous. Yeah. Because we also did that training. Like she said, with a couple of players, if I'm paired with them, it's really difficult for me. So then we, we acted as actresses and pretended (laughs) to be them and tried to bug her. We tried to find what are all the things that, gets in your way and we bring that we call it the not 54 practice bring it into practice you learn coping skills yeah so, so actually so, so off yeah. she went and actually her her agent uh sent us an email and said you know i was crying on the way to yeah. <laughs> the first tournament because she was so nervous and uh so anyway off she goes so what do you think happened at the first tournament she wins <laughs> she wins she what wins. do you think happens at the second tournament she in wins. singapore <laughs> she wins so, so what's interesting in that off season, we often say is that other players are working on their swing and they're doing these things that they normally do in off season, but I was actually preparing to win. She was actually preparing herself for those golf courses. Yeah. And um, obviously the results, results yeah. showed that. So, but, so cool. I think it's really important because many say like, oh yeah, you know, even when you're close to winning, just pretend it's a normal round and all of that. I mean, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's not. But the more, like Lynn said, the more we can, as part of the practice, simulate the situation that's going to happen. You know, it might be, you know, TV camera behind you, you know, practice that or rules of fish. I mean, just practice all different scenarios so we don't have a greater chance not to be caught off guard. Yeah, I'll just tell one other story. It is about simulation, but this was a, another player we've coached. She got, she rose as high as number two in the world, but um, she was deciding that she was going to go back and play the Korean LPGA. And so she said, you know, I want to prepare for that, but it's really hard. She said, because the qualifying rounds in Korea, she's in qualifying school, are like six to six and a half hours long. She goes, how do you prepare for that? And she goes, I mean, because it's ridiculous how much time you spend on the golf course. So we said, okay, we get it. But here's how you're going to prepare for it. You're going to come here and you're going to, if you know the course, you're going to hit the shots. But between shots, okay, like you hit a drive, and then you're going to wait maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> and then you're going to pick your club and hit the second shot. And then and you're going to wait 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> and then you're going to chip it or pitch it or putt or whatever it is. And then you're going to wait 15 minutes. And she goes, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and we laugh. We go, of course it's ridiculous. But either you prepare for those conditions yeah. or you don't. And yeah. if you prepare for them, you're more likely to qualify. <laughs> so, yeah. Why, 
why do you think it's players' tendencies to go to a block style of practice versus a simulation style practice? Well, I mean, it, it's still, you know, the com- still a common culture in the game of golf. I mean, how ranges are set up with pyramids of balls or bucket of balls, it's, you know, it's 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 our culture that is is inviting it to happen and and plus doing it you know it it's it feels it feels good short term i can make me feel more confident i hit like you know 20 decent seven irons in a row and i think i've got it yeah and and i feel (laughs) like i'm you know i'm getting enough reps in and so it's it's just a you know it can lead us to believe that's what make me reach the goal sooner but it's like we said it's too unlike how the game is on the golf course so that's why there can be a big mismatch yeah but i I, you know we get asked about it a lot and we we've we have lectured or given presentations all over the world and um i don't care if you're on a three-tier concrete driving range in tokyo japan you can still do your best to simulate practice. Or, yeah. I mean, simulate yeah. the real game. You can still change clubs and change what sign you're aiming at and doing mm-hmm. your routine. So it's just, it's like, you know, one, one of the foundational things about practice is what we practice, we get good at. So as a player, I just need to be good at, do I want to be good at what you need on the golf course or do I want to be good at just hitting, mindless hitting golf balls on the range? So. I just need to be clear about why I'm training. Am I training to be a better golfer or just hitting balls because it's a fun thing to do? Yeah, but it's a really, the the environment sets up the habit and then the habit just repeats itself and it just gets ingrained. So at our golf schools, we are really disciplined with this is that everybody who attends, they get a small bag of balls, okay? And they have to move that bag of balls five paces behind their station (laughs) and they have to go to the bag and pick one ball out and then take it to where they're going to hit and then execute whatever their intention or purpose is or drill is okay then they have to go five steps back and pick another ball and bring it up drop it you know they can't place it in a prince or princess line and then do their intended drill or whatever purpose it is so we just try to really break the habit of what we call scrape and hit and scrape and hit is block practice. And it's, again, I think people didn't intend to do that. It's just the way the environments are set up. Um, So we got to help people break that. And when you, you've mentioned plenty of stories about watching your (laughs) players, what they've done, you know, appreciate all of them. What in particular are you looking for with your players when you're watching them to see that, they're in the zone or they're not maybe where they need to be in terms of commitment to their process? Well, that's where, you know, the, the skill process of observing is a big one. First of all, I need to be really present. I can't be chatting with other people, spectating, then I'm not present and, and really observe me. But then we observe everything from technique to strategy to how they communicate with the caddy and what you see in the think box, play box, memory between shots. We, we, we keep observing all of that and then paying attention. What are the patterns we see when they play well with all of that? And how does things change if they don't play well? So it's, it's to get the really as much specific um, things that we can, not opinions, but true. Like it could be like, wow, 
those holes when they played well, they spend about you know six seven six seconds or so in the play box, and then the two holes were didn't go well. Suddenly, it was over ten seconds. So we want to pick up on real observations that over time, so we can help them faster figure out what they do when they play well compared to they don't play well. Because every player on the planet, no matter what handicap level you you have is a unique player and it's not going to have the same ways of playing great golf and not the same ways of messing up. So we want to really observe and just help capture uh, capture that for them and give feedback on that. Yeah. I just, I'll tell a quick funny story about this, but even with Annika Sorenstam, the best uh, player in the women's game, we were at a uh, women's British Open one year and I said to Pia, you know, I've been out observing Annika and I've seen some not so good memory boxes or post-shot reactions. I said, I think you should go out and check it out. So you did. And she just in that particular round didn't have very good post-shot reactions. So um, you wrote notes, specific notes, mm -hmm. what holes and what, what you saw or do. And then when the round was over, you met her on the putting green and you, you brought it up to her. And you said something like, oh, you know, I saw that your memory boxes could be better, or your push-out reactions could be better. And she said, what do you mean? What'd you see? And you could go to your notes and say specifically yeah. what holes you saw, where you saw it, what she did. And then a player believes it and they're like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, so you can't just say, I saw you look grumpy out there today. <laughs> they need very specific and sorted feedback so then players buy in and then can make some adjustments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How has observing been different for you during the pandemic? Have you been able to continue <laughs> really to tournaments that. or? But, yeah. you know, we hope in the place we coach on television a lot. So we get to see their shots and we can, you know, do the feedback that way. Yeah, and, uh, but, really uh, but, but the, otherwise it's, you know, it's the one aspect they're missing. So we obviously we've done much more on the phone and FaceTime with them. But um, if we can't go to the tournament, we, you know, we, we need to, you know, and sometimes communicate more with the caddies to get information from them. And luckily many of them we know so well now, so we still kind of know areas to look, look that they need to be mindful of for the different players. Yeah. But we'd, having a new player to coach, it would be very, very difficult yeah. because you're just guessing. Have there been any specific moments on TV that you've watched that you've been able to give feedback on that you could share? Yeah, but you know, it was um, um, you know with the with the Masters, it was really awesome because you know we we support Mike Weir some, and it was so awesome there because you could go in for each player and look at every shot. So that was like splendid. I remember he had some question about putting, and we could go in and just like watch it. But you know, women's used to open. Uh, Aria and Maria Yutanagan were both, you know, up there. They were on television quite a bit, so so that that made it for for um, you know good way of, of being able to help them during the tournament, even though we were not there in person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I uh, the 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 Masters was really fun because we we could see every single <laughs> shot. So maybe that's coming to golf. <laughs> well, they say it is. <laughs> Right. Yes, can't wait to see that part of golf get more and more involved with the women's game. Like, definitely yeah. looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you could create a learning opportunity for a listener, like someone who's listening to this podcast, what's a small piece of advice that someone could apply to their own game? Well, I would say 
read our book, Be a Player, and do those exercises. And I, I can almost guarantee that you're going to play better and have more fun. But it, it needs to land in, in action. And, and um, that book was made for that. How can we have golfers not having become a serious, but they can listen to it or read it. And actually, if they do it, it should make a difference. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we have besides reading a book, we have like remote trainings that we've now made available. So some people say, "Hey, you know, I want to do more than just read the book. I'd love to come to Arizona, but I can't." So you know, silver lining of COVID for us is that we created five different remote trainings. So those remote trainings, the feedback we've gotten from people has been really really awesome that they're able to do a myriad of exercises from think box play box memory box between shots to what we call balance tempo tension awareness um, and then through the platform that we use they get audios and videos and they're able to have some interaction with us to what's going on so even though it's not in-person coaching um, we've seen <clears throat> really fun things happen for people yeah yeah I can advocate for the success of that book. I read it. I uh, I shot one of my worst rounds in years, but I left the course and I thought to myself, you know, I committed to every single shot. I reacted the right way, even though it didn't go the way I wanted. Rebounded the next few rounds that I played. And what website could someone go to to get more info on, on your remote trainings? Vision54.com. <laughs> and then click where it says remote coaching. Yeah. Well, you know, Obviously, a lot of resources for players to learn more about their game and the human side of it. P.N. Lynn, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, you to both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yes. for the questions. It's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot, so I can't wait to share the message. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah.